0: I knew
1: I was a leader way back in the fourth grade when I gave James a test after showing him how to use the Dewey Decimal System. He was in the first grade. Even at the age of 10, I instinctively understood the importance of performance measures. James told his mom about me and reported me to the principal the next day, and I've never gotten over that. Forty years later, I'm still trying to figure out how to stretch employees, not get in trouble, determine the perfect performance measure, and how to manage bossy bosses. I wanted to do this podcast to place the human side of leadership right in the middle of the room. I am Dr. Don Emmerich, and this is Leadership Uncensored. Businesses must constantly transform and adapt to meet a variety of challenges, from changes in technology to the rise of new competitors to a shift in laws, regulations, or even underlying economic trends. Failure to do so could lead to a loss of talent, stagnation, or even worse, failure. Change has a starting point and an end point and right in the middle are our people. Business sectors are still responding to the prolonged COVID crisis, which has impacted and sometimes traumatized each member of our workforce in very unique ways. Countless stories of toxic work environments and people not being their best selves are surfacing in video blogs and HR complaints, just to name a few. Leading dynamic organizations through any type of change is difficult, and it's even harder when employees are experiencing high levels of emotional stress inside and outside of the workplace. Join me and several experts from the field as we explore change during this Leadership Uncensored podcast series. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much again for joining us for Leadership Uncensored Uh, We are really having a great time this week uh, discussing change and change management with some amazing thought leaders in this field. And today I am honored to bring in Susan Schmidt Winchester. Susan, thank you so much for joining us for this special podcast
0: series. Dawn, thank you. It's It's a privilege to be here.
1: I um, can't wait to read this bio because you're amazing and I can't believe that you're on my podcast, quite frankly. Um, So let me tell everyone about Susan. So Susan Schmitz-Winchester is the Senior Vice President, Chief Human Resources Officer for Applied Materials, a Fortune 200 company, and it's more than 24,000 global employees. She has more than 30 years of experience in HR, providing executive leadership, most recently at the Rockwell Automation and the Kellogg Company. She continually looks to meet today's global business challenges with creative HR strategies that engage people, support a dynamic, inclusive corporate culture, and enable company exceptional performance. Her passion is teaching and inspiring executives, leaders, and professionals how to succeed by discovering self-acceptance, fulfillment, and joy at work and in life. What's really exciting Because May 1st is right around the corner. Uh, Susan is also an author of a book, Healing at Work, A Guide to Using Career Conflicts to Overcome Your Past and Build Your Future You Deserve, um, with a co author, Martha I. Finney, and that is going to be available May 1st on Amazon. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Susan is a fellow at the National Academy of Human Resources, the highest professional honor for leaders in HR. She serves as a board member for the HR Policy Association and on the executive committee of the peer roundtable for CHROs. She is vice president, leadership advisory board to the Dean of Engineering College and Engineering at the University of Michigan. And she is a member of Forbes HR Council. Again, I am so honored that you are on my
0: podcast, Susan. Well- I feel I'm honored to be on your podcast, especially in the context of this series that you're doing with so many amazing people. I have,
1: you know, that's the beauty of doing these podcasts. You really do get to meet just amazing folks. And, um, You know, and quite frankly, I I feel like I've met a lot of friends and and join and, you know, have created a lot of friendships. So again, thank you, Susan. I I have just been really looking forward to doing this. You know, you and I have kindred mission on this work and with your book. I really want to get into the details of of your book. So, um, well, first of all, tell me, tell the listeners a little bit about you that wasn't in your bio that no one knows really about you.
0: Well, that's a great question and it'll be a good lead into the discussion of the book is that what people, what most people don't know about me is that despite what looks like to be a great career, and I'm very um, humbled by how uh, amazing my career has been thanks to so many great leaders, teachers, and coaches along the way. But what most people don't know is that a lot of the achievement in my career was actually fueled from a place of feeling like I wasn't good enough and um, that the the energy that went into the achievements was all about trying to prove myself and that as a kid, this is, you know, part of the book is I was totally unconscious. This was actually showing up at work. I had a dad who was difficult to please. and We can talk more about that as we get into this discussion. But I walked away from my childhood thinking I'm not good enough and my job is to get other people to tell me that I'm good enough, and everybody else's job, particularly people in authority, is to to give me the approval. And so that for years I, I was on what I call the unconscious wounded career path, mm. um, unconscious wounded, responding from the old outdated scripts and the old behaviors. And um, it, 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 companies love people pleasers and perfectionists, which is what I use as my strategies to try to get people to validate that I was good enough. Uh, But it took a huge toll. And and my purpose, and I'm so grateful to be here to be able to talk to you. My purpose in writing the book with Martha was to basically teach people that they can have a very different experience in their careers with a lot less stress, anxiety and worry, especially those of us that have come from some kind of a dysfunctional past.
1: Oh, you know, this series is only 30 minutes, but we could do two hours, you know. (laughs) We could, we really could. Um, I have so many questions. Well, you clearly thank you, first of all, for sharing that. And I think that's the start of the conversation that we should all, you know, become comfortable with, because we have to acknowledge everything that you just talked about. And so I appreciate you disclosing that. And it takes a lot of courage. And of course, your book really outlines a lot of that courage as well. So you've been in this work for a long time. You've had a very promising career. It's always mm-hmm. interesting to me, we're not 25 anymore. It has taken you this long mm-hmm. to, to recognize this, right? Mm-hmm. Why has it taken this long? And where were you at 25? What's the difference?
0: Yeah, the huge difference. So, yes, I've been in my career 33 years with some amazing companies. And I would say, and I almost hate to admit this, but probably 30 of those years were in that unconscious. I was on, on the unconscious wounded career path. I was evolving away from that path to the what I call the conscious healing career path. Um, but this this is why I, I wrote the book it, with Martha. It was to to help other people avoid the cost of being in an unconscious place when we show up at work every day. So if I go back to when I was 25, um, actually, it was 25, 26, I had taken my first manager position and was very excited. And, um, you know, of course, was in my total performance mode, people pleasing, perfectionism, overachieving. And I remember my team had won uh, an important award in the company. Uh, but for some reason, my manager had excluded me from the recognition, hmm. which at that time in my my career, of course, I was really young, That didn't make any sense to me. I was a manager, but I wasn't an executive by any stretch of the imagination. And so I, you know, I asked her why I was was excluded, and she gave a, gave me a very non answer. Just really, it was her decision. She just excluded me. And so I was upset about that since I'd led the team. And again, I would probably do this differently now than how I handled it. But what I did then was to go to her boss and just say, "I'm just confused. Is there something that I should have done differently?" And, of course, he went back to her. Mm -hmm. Well, I got called back into her office. And this was a leader who had a little statue that she would sit on her desk every day. It was a little statue of, on one side, it was the good witch, a happy witch, the, the Glenda from Wizard of Oz, the good witch. And on the flip side was the Wicked Witch of the West. And I remember and she would move that statue every day based on her mood. Right. So that's a. don't recommend this as a leadership trait, by the way. So I walked into her office and of course, the witch was staring right at me and she exploded at me. She was in a full blown rage because I'd gone to her boss. And I remember in the moment I froze, which is exactly what I did when my dad's rage would unleash. I would freeze. I would want to cry. I get choked up talking about it. And I'd want to run upstairs under my bed with my dog and and get as far away from the anger as I could. I can't believe I'm getting so emotional. Mm. That's what my career started out as, because I believed that it was her job to validate me. And here I was getting the total opposite and really unconsciously triggering old fears of getting in trouble, because Mm. that's, you know, that was sort of the dynamic in my, my family with my dad, his unpredictable anger. Uh, was like we were always hypervigilant, always walking on eggshells. So, you know, that's a snapshot from, you know, when I was age 25, 26. Fast forward now on this path, and I've always been interested in personal development and discovering better ways to be more effective in life, but was still never cracking the code. Um, And it was through a couple of different key experiences and I don't want to ramble on too long. I'll stop here in a minute, but now I'm at a place in my career where when things are going up, first of all, I'm coming from a a much deeper level of Mm self-acceptance, much more clarity that it is my job to determine my self-acceptance, nobody else's. And in that discovery, which is the the path we take our readers on in, in the book is to how to go for that unconscious place where your your old triggers are affecting you and causing you to spiral down stress anxiety worry broken relationships addictions all kinds of things to try to feel better that now when something's happening in the workplace someone gets angry so it's not unusual people get angry at work i never personalize it you know Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm able to detach from their anger because I'm really clear that, A, I don't need them to validate me. That's one big learning along this Mm -hmm. path. And B, um, I am then freed up so much more to be so much more effective in helping to understand what's going on for them. And, I mean, I can give you lots of different examples if you like, but I'll stop there.
1: Oh, my goodness. I mean, again, we're just really just peeling back the onion here. You know, one of the things that I, you know, read, in some of your, um, I got a little peek of the book. Um, but you, you, you have this prompt that talks about, you know, do these feelings at work get in the way of your happiness and success? And so I want to read a couple of them because mm-hmm. I think when I was reading through them um, in preparation for this podcast, I resonated with many of them. And I, and I know that my listeners will as well. Um, so something like um, some, some things that you might think to yourself. Um, if someone is in a bad mood, it must have been something to do with me, um, and it's not my job to fix it. Um, if people knew who I really am behind my professional mask, they'd lose all respect for me. Like, these are all those self-talk and criticism mm-hmm. and stuff yep. that you have. And then here's another one. Nobody else feels this way. I must be the only one. I don't belong here. These are powerful statements. And... Um, mm-hmm. Where did they come? These were yours? Like, are, are these personal
0: thoughts this, for you? Is, these are, some of those thoughts are thoughts that I had. Some are thoughts that Martha had. Some are thoughts that we know people that we have worked have had. And and you're, you're poking on something that's really key. And I want to make sure I, I, I make this um, statement. The research shows that two thirds of us, two thirds of American adults, and this has been validated in other countries too, have experienced one of the 10 Adverse Childhood Experiences. They're called the ACEs. If you've never heard of that, I highly suggest you look up ACEs, the ACEs research. They basically asked 17,000 adults in the U.S. I think it was Kaiser Permanente with two doctors, Felipe and Ananda, who went out and studied um, and looked at and asked people of these 10 things, did did any of these 10 things happen to you when you were little? And it's things like... um, Emotional, physical, sexual abuse, neglect, uh, addiction in the family, mental illness in the family, mother was treated um, was treated poorly, divorce. I, I know I'm probably missing a couple, but what was shocking in their results was that 67% of people had experienced at least one of those 10 adverse childhood experiences, and 40% had experienced uh, two or more. Um, In my case, I experienced five. And in Martha's case, she experienced eight.
1: And Mm. so the reality
0: is a lot of us are showing up in the workplace, having come from some pretty challenging, difficult childhoods. And I want to be really clear that this book is not about blaming past. Uh, It's not about blaming parents. It's none of that. It's about getting clarity around how is that past affecting me now and I want I know you do beautiful work in the, the work of a trauma-informed change and I think that's so key. I also want to say that I never would have associated with the word trauma in my childhood. I minimized it I rationalized it I downplayed it um, my I didn't want anything I didn't, I didn't want to hurt my dad's reputation in the community. And so it never dawned on me that maybe some of the things that happened when I was little might actually be creeping into my professional reality every day, unbeknownst to me. (laughs) So that I wanted to make those points as you were reading those statements. So those statements come from Martha, myself and many other people as well.
1: Well, yes. Uh, Gosh, again, I keep having all of these thoughts. So thank you for acknowledging the trauma work that, that I've been doing. Um, you know, there was a, a recent um, thing I saw on Twitter, and um, it struck me because this was a, um, something was posted on Twitter about um, a family that I knew, and unbeknownst to many of us until it hit the paper, that this person that I had been working very closely with was experiencing domestic violence in her home. And, and when I, so that's what we're talking about sure. here, right? Like, so this is the work, this is stuff that's happening outside of work. Right. So employees are still expected to show up and to perform. Yep. And, and that, and so what you're talking about is, um, you know, sort of in that leadership role, and then what I'm talking about is here as leaders, we're trying to get organizations to continue to advance, and we're not taking any of that trauma or personal experiences in, in account, but we're still expecting people to change and to adopt change. This is just the cusp of a growing movement, Susan, it and is. I just appreciate you so much for being willing to disclose it in a book, to mm-hmm. share it, to help others. Um it's really necessary and I, and I do appreciate that. Let me ask you a, a question about gender and about self-identity. So this is your personal experience and so your book is reflective on you. You are a female, you are a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you connect this to men? And
0: are men struggling with it and how are they talking about it, if at all? I love it, yes. Uh, so the two thirds of us that came from dysfunctional homes are men and women. So the answer is men are dealing with these same issues like women are dealing with them. And because I've worked in the corporate HR world for so many years, I've had the uh, amazing privilege to partner with coach support leaders at all levels in the company. And because I'm very open about some of the things that I have going on some of the things we just talked about, my leaders, the leaders will open up and share. And so I find both men and women as they get more comfortable in a safe place, uh, a place of no judgment, of being able to come in and open up and share. And so uh, the reality is, is that, you know, if you've experienced an ACE, um, or if you came from a childhood where something happened and you took some negative beliefs away about you, it doesn't just gear towards women. I mean, it's women and men. And actually, and I know you've seen this too in your work in companies, that many times more men than women are in the most senior level roles. And these unconscious patterns can play out when when leaders ha- are not addressing some of these issues and not only affect individuals in their teams, but in, an entire culture and a company. Yes. And so, and so I, I honestly think one of the greatest opportunities is for, the, for our book to be led or to be read by leaders who can become more conscious and more aware of how their unconscious wounded career path is actually affecting a whole system. And so do men and women talk about this differently? Um, Obviously, most of the time, people don't start out with talking about anything to do with their childhood. It's this sort of a, a no zone place from a workplace right. standpoint. And I don't, I don't really go to the no zone. I don't go to that either, unless they're willing to go with me because I'm opening up and disclosing my own past. Um, typically, in the discussions with men and women, is you know, is something in your in your career not working? Has something happened at work that isn't working? Uh, are you upset about something? Men and women can both talk about that. And what I have come to conclude is that when someone has an overreaction, a negative overreaction to something that's happened at work, it's almost always a clue that an old trigger has been pulled. And that, in fact, I was just talking to a leader the other day, and he said he realized his trigger is being criticized. And we didn't even talk about his childhood, but all he did was reference his childhood because he knows about my book. And he said something happened at work where he felt Incredibly criticized and judged, Mm -hmm. and he went into a very negative place. And so, we worked through the impact of that at work. And the question that I ask is, Is it possible you could be overreacting to this because of some old beliefs you have about yourself? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he, in my experiences with men, is they'll generally they don't self-disclose all the gory details and actually women don't either, unless they really either men or women feel comfortable doing that. Um, but the point is getting at the workplace dynamic or the career dynamic that's not working for them. And, um, and so that, that's what I've seen.
1: You are a very successful professional. Um, some would say, well, wow, Susan, you know, you know, you you certainly turned out okay. You despite <laughs> all of this, you turned out mm-hmm. well. Everything's good. Um you referenced earlier about the costs associated yep. with this. Let's yep. talk a little bit about that. So you you clearly have done well for yourself. Um but what were those costs? What are the implications of not addressing this?
0: I love that question. I'll tell you a quick story. So I had just taken my first really large, the largest HR role I'd ever been in. And um, it was myself and uh, a group of men. And I desperately wanted to prove that I was going to create value for them and the team. And the harder and harder I tried, the less and less I seemed to be effective. I went home every night and cried. Um, it's not uncommon for those of us that are in this category of perfectionist, overachiever, people pleaser, to try to find unhealthy ways to self-soothe. So my my choice was Chardonnay. And mm-hmm. I, I know I was on a path to drinking too much. There's no question about that. And the the cost was that when I was home or even at work, I was always questioning what I was doing. Did I do that right? Did I, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said this in the meeting. Oh, dang it. I should have spoken up here. And then I go home at night and think, and replay everything. Oh, I think somebody was mad at me. and Oh my God, it must be my fault. I got to figure out what's wrong and how do I fix it? And so when I was home, I wasn't present for my sons who were growing up at the time. And I wasn't present for now my ex-husband. So impact on work-life, work-life balance. I worked all the time. I worked on all the weekends. Um, I was moving further and further away in terms of my relationship with my closest family members. And I was numbing myself every night because I didn't feel good enough. Mm -hmm. And somehow the Chardonnay took the edge off of it. Uh, I'm really lucky that, you know, I I made a decision actually almost 17 years ago to stop drinking entirely. Um, but, But the costs are significant. People leave companies because they've concluded they're not valued. They go out and, you know, find themselves repeating old patterns and new companies, but a lot of effort and energy and uh, just a lot of lack of clarity about what's wrong. And is this ever going to change? And am I on a never ending um, cycle of feeling this way and, and just never feeling like I was measuring up? So those are some of the costs for sure. And well, certainly there are health costs as well. I should have yeah. mentioned that. I personally have not been affected from a health standpoint, but I have definitely been in partnership with many people who have had heart attacks because they've internalized the stress, who have become obese because they're using food as a way of self-soothing. So there are a lot of downside consequences and costs from a health standpoint as well.
1: Interesting. And I'm just listening to you and I I can see myself. And some of the stories that you just shared, I mean, I'm I'm and I so I know that that's why this this podcast with, you know, with you being on here, I think is just in your book is going to be oh. so impactful to so many people, because I really do believe that there are so many of us that are experiencing the same thing yeah. when when we talk about that moment. Right. OK, so you've you've had this journey. Um, clearly, you talked about you know what it looked like when you were twenty five and where you are now. What was the moment, Susan, where you were like, something has got to change? And then tell me what the results were of that. What
0: changed? Yeah, that's a really good question. I have to say that there were some significant experiences in my career that started to help me realize that I was coming from a place of weakness in my professional relationships as people pleaser uh, perfectionist. But I would say it was probably a cumulative looking back at different moments in my, my life, both personally and professionally, and realizing And this was probably 2017. Like I'm not kidding. I spent 30 years in this place that I wouldn't recommend for anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It was was way too much suffering. And my hope (laughs) is that I can actually reduce the suffering of people in their careers. But it it was a look back in 2017 as I finished the first version of this manuscript and the realization that the cumulative effect of so many negative things that had happened in my life and in my career were actually the greatest leadership teachers You know, so I can tell you lots of stories. There's a story in the early 2000s where I was working with an amazing executive coach. I was having a very difficult time with this group that I mentioned just a minute ago. And um, she had me do an exercise to, to really look at how was I showing up. In my relationship to these guys, I was struggling every night going home and crying and drinking. And she had me do this fun exercise. She said, you know, pick the worst ones of the group. So I picked four of them. And she said, okay, I want you to imagine that you're in their eyes looking at you. If they had to pick an animal to describe you symbolically, what animal would they pick?
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Uh-huh. I, I, I closed my eyes and I burst out laughing. I said, oh, my God, I'm a golden retriever puppy dog, wagging my tail, wanting them to pat me on the head and tell me what a good girl I am. <laughs> you know, it's really embarrassing. But then she had me go back into my own eyes and tell me what are the, if I picked an animal for each one of those four guys, what animals are they? So there was a grizzly bear, a gorilla, a wolf with long fangs, and a hyena smiling but circling me. <sighs> And basically, the sort of conscious awareness was, and her question was, well, how's that working out for you, that little puppy dog with those ferocious animals? And um, I just said, it's not working out. I am getting eaten up. And that's exactly what I felt like. And so that was a major felt shift. That That's a word she used. Her name's Tony Chinoy. She used that word as a, it was a major shift in how I thought about myself and a realization that I was allowing unconsciously them, I was allowing myself to be a victim in the leadership relationship that I had with these men. And in fact, I didn't want to be a victim. I get to chose that I could be a leader rather than a victim, a villain or martyr, which is great language as well. I don't victim, villain, martyr, leader. And uh, I chose a different animal, which was to be a lioness and to be more strong and to be less worried about their judgment of me. Judgment's a trigger for me because my dad judged me harshly. But that was a very early major turning point of, oh, okay, this old script, people pleaser perfectionism, and these old behaviors and these old triggers are actually working against me in my career. And then there there have been several other moments along the path. But I have to say, it was in 2017 to look back at all these different moments and the realization in partnership with Martha in 2018 to realize. this whole clarity around unconscious and conscious wound, unconscious and conscious healing career paths. And we have a choice based on the wonderful research that's out there about how we rewire our brains to overcome some of those old beliefs and respond differently. So there are lots of examples. And again, I wanna be respectful of the time, but where that moment of consciousness is, oh my gosh, I don't have to act this way anymore. I can I can show up differently in my career. It must be a, a feeling of night and day for you. It is. Um, yeah.
1: Give me Give me an example of what is different, though. Like, what did you find when you had that revelation that I don't have to be this way? Mm-hmm. What's an example of something that's different?
0: Well, first of all, I would say the overwhelming feeling I have now is a feeling of freedom. I don't feel I, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but I almost felt like a prisoner in my own mind and my own inability to achieve what I was trying to achieve, which was self you know being validated as a human being. But because I was so unconscious to the fact that that's nobody else's job but mine, I was in this constant state of worry, this constant state of hyper vigilance of being on guard. And worried about, what well, when am I going to get in trouble? And, and now the, the feeling is so different. It's a feeling of total freedom because of the journey, which is exactly where we bring our readers in the book, is to discover that we can respond totally differently. And so I think it's it's a place of feeling grounded, of feeling like I have better work-life balance. I have higher quality relationships with the mm-hmm. people that are most important to me. I have better relationships with people in the workplace because I don't get so triggered by other people. Um, Someone said to me recently, there was something happening with one leader who I think was having an overreaction to an old script. And they said, well, Susan, you go talk to him. You're the whisperer, the executive whisperer. And I laughed. I said, well, I'm not really that, but I, I just, you know, it's, it's this opportunity to, to feel comfortable engaging with anybody where they're at, despite how angry they are, or despite how upset they are, despite how sad they are, and being able to um, to feel totally comfortable that whatever's going on with them is about them, not about me. And so I, there, I, I'm probably not even summarizing all the, the benefits of the uh-huh. conscious healing career path, but it, it's significant, significant.
1: I, I am curious, and I don't know whether I'm opening a can of worms here. You know, this, I had a, a previous podcast on emotional intelligence um, uh, several months ago. I'm curious to know what the relationship is, if there is at all. Were you did you take the EQ assessment back in the day, and how were your scores? And is there a relationship between what you're talking about and what you talk about in your book and emotional intelligence?
0: Yeah, it's it's a great question too. When I think about emotional intelligence, um, I'm I was introduced to a model around talent capability, which would be a whole other podcast because it's so different than what most companies are using. Uh, I call it the suitability model, and there are four key elements that matter in terms of being successful and effective in the role that you're in or whether or not you're being considered for a future role. And the third element of that model is temperament. And so it basically says that we all have a temperament. We all have a way of showing up every day. We all have pluses and minuses, good days and bad days. And really, the only thing that matters from a, a, a job standpoint or a potential future job is is there any element of your temperament or nature that could impair your effectiveness? And so because of a lot of the work around EQ is around temperament in nature, that's where I think about it. So the reality is we do have a nature. What I'm trying to help people do is understand where the negative elements of my nature and how can I mitigate some of the negatives in a more positive way in the workplace? And so, yes. Did I take assessments through my career? Absolutely. As an HR person, I'm a student of assessment, so I love assessments. Um, And I did do an assessment actually in 1995. So I've been in my career for about seven years and it's the best assessment I've ever seen. I still use it right now with our leaders at our company. And my scores definitely showed extreme levels, Uh, I should say extreme. So there's a a 50th percentile and then anything above it's considered high. So no big surprise. I was pretty high on perfectionism, very high on on, uh, approval seeking, Uh very low on um, oppositional. So that uh, that manifests as, um, well, I'm not argumentative or manipulative or, um, you know, intellectually manipulative. I was too low on oppositional, which meant I was not assertive. So I would never speak up, I would suck it all in, stuff all the feelings, whatever's going on. So I've had the opportunity to retake that assessment three different times since, well, two times since the 1995. And I'm happy to say that generally (laughs) my nature is pretty much the same. So I still score higher on perfectionism than I'd like, but the scores have come down. My approval score has come down a lot because of the work that I've been doing and uh, and also uh, my my last CEO, or I guess two CEOs ago that I worked for said, you don't need to work on being assertive anymore. You've got that one covered. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is it does evolve, but our temperament is our nature. And so yeah. it's more about managing the potential extremes in temperament more effectively, which I believe our book helps. Because what I see in the workplace, the extremes are extreme bullies, extreme aggressors, uh, in my case, extreme perfectionists, extreme approval seekers, you know, so how can we turn the dial down so that our emotional intelligence, our EQ, our temperament, the language I use, is more effective in the workplace? And but the other quick side note on temperament is that it's very role dependent. So in some roles, you need someone who's really aggressive and competitive to go turn around a business. Uh, You don't want someone in there that's all about affiliative relationships. They're going to have a harder time making tough decisions. So positive and negative aspects of our temperament may work in different roles. Uh, That's the beauty of the model. But where they don't work is when you start to see the extremes in anybody's temperament that can impair them.
1: Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, Susan, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what are some good key takeaways. What's the so what? And what are some key takeaways for our
0: listeners? The so what? Uh, Well, I would highly recommend you buy The Healing at Work, a guide to using career conflicts to overcome your past and build the future you deserve, book by Martha Finney and me on May 1st. Uh, Right now it'll be available on Kindle as well as paperback and we are in the process right now of Audible. So stay tuned for Audible. And then later this summer, we're going to have a special edition hardcover. Uh, that's a so what? Because honestly, I am on a mission to transform people's experiences in their careers and to ultimately create a more joyful experience for them at home and at work, as well as ultimately to, to help make a joy, more joyful world. And the, the book is written from a pragmatic standpoint, And um, I I think the so what is you have an opportunity to discover whether or not you're living on an unconscious, wounded career path and how to start moving towards that conscious healing career path through the steps that we take the readers through. And Susan, I think that, you know, you
1: gave a stat out earlier about, you know, 63% of folks who identified with having at least one of the ACEs. Um, I think that and I think that you would agree with this. Uh, COVID has changed the game. Yep. And I would I would submit that that is more that is more at a ninety percent at this point. And yep. I again I think I think your book is timely. I think that given what I just said and given what we just talked about, this is a perfect book for every single leader today. And I, I would encourage all of my leaders. I, you know, I got a peek at it. Um, again, I resonated my own personal trauma um, with it. I know that it'll help me as a leader. And I would just encourage everyone May first um, on Amazon, download it, purchase it, follow Susan. Where where can people
0: find you, Susan? Yep, the best place is my own website. It's Susan J Schmidt S C H M I double dot com. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Susan Schmidt Winchester on LinkedIn.
1: Susan, it's been a pleasure. Um, I say this at all of my podcasts, even my hour version, um, that we could go on and on and on about this. I think that you um, showed great courage with this book. Um, I hope that when people read it, that they see themselves and get the courage to acknowledge their own um, trauma as well, and let's uh, and mentor others quite frankly, we need as women, we need to reach back and mentor those emerging leaders that are are maybe behaving the way that both you and I did in our early 20s and our 30s. So thank you again for sharing your your wisdom and your book. And uh, everyone, thank you for listening to this. Please follow Susan by her book. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Susan.
0: Thanks, Don. Appreciate it.